We're continuing on in our series, looking at the life of Abraham, or Abraham, depending on where we're at in the series. And so this evening, we're in Genesis chapter 12, reading from verse 10, right through to 13, verse 4. If you're struggling to find Genesis, it's the very first book of the Bible, so it's an easy one, yeah. Genesis 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman, And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said, Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy, in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There, Abraham called on the name of the Lord, and we give thanks to God for his word. Thanks, Jeff. It's um, 7 o'clock club time. If um, you're going to 7 o'clock club, now's the time uh, to leave, and the rest of us will pick up uh, the, our Bibles at Genesis 12, and we'll be studying that just in a few moments' time. But we're going to pray as we do, asking for help as we seek to understand uh, this God's Word. Father, we are, again, very thankful for this text of Scripture, this holy word that you've given to us, and we long that uh, this evening hour uh, you will lift our eyes uh, from ourselves and from our world, and may we see you, the King, sovereign over us. So bless us and teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were with us um, two Sunday nights ago, we left... Abram being blessed by God and being a blessing for God. And we noted that in those days, uh, Abraham held lightly to the things of the world and he held tightly to the things of God. And we saw that in the way he pitched his tent, which was a, like a temporary thing. And uh, he built an altar, which was a permanent thing. And things were looking so good 
for Abram and God's plans. Leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. And so he did. And so he did. And the promises follow that we looked at last time. God's grace and God's call was given to God's choice and Abram obeys and trusts. It all looks so good, doesn't it? Now, we've got to understand, of course, how this kind of passage is given to us. No comments are given by Moses. He is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He gives us the facts. He he, um, doesn't give us a running commentary. He doesn't tell us that this action was wrong or that action was right. We're left to conclude and fill in the blanks to see the sin or to see the obedience. That's what we're called to do. For example, what we're going to see here is um, these two verses, almost side by side. The promise of verse 7, when Abram seemed to be shaking a little bit. God says, to your offspring, I will give this land, this land that you're living in right now. You're pitching your tent and you're building your altars. This land I will give to you. And then just a few moments later, in verse 10, what happens? Abram went down to Egypt. Abram left this land and went to Egypt. It's a short step from verse 7 to verse 10, but the difference was great and the consequences were almost disastrous. The promise of the land, and then leaving the promised land. Now, no commentary is given. No comment is given by Moses. But we we have to see that these two things shouldn't go side by side, but they do. They are. What we're seeing here tonight is Abram being a man, uh, a failure, because men and women, human beings, feel. It's easy to feel. It's easy to fall. It's easy to stumble and make a mess, to plunge into the pit of fear Or as some of the commentators call this, a failure of nerve. That's what we see here in this aspect of the story. It often happens, of course, in the the face of a crisis. When we don't need to show faith, we're very good at showing faith. But when we do need to show faith, that's when we fail very often. We're rather strange people, aren't we? At least I am. I find it very easy to believe the big things, but struggle in the smaller things of life to believe. Are you with me in this? Like, for instance, um, I mean, do you believe in the effectiveness of the cross and resurrection of the Lord Jesus? Yeah, I think you do, probably. No problem. Believe in that. But do you trust God for your daily bread? Really? I mean, really? Or, or, or what about... Um, the forgiveness of sins and the adoption into his family. Do you believe that? But, but what about um, struggling to trust God in all our relationships within our families and within the church? Do we struggle there? Or, or, or what about heaven and eternal life? Do you believe in that? But maybe you struggle to trust God to supply heating oil and, and money for our mortgages this, summer, this winter 
as we come into the cost of living crisis and all its fierceness. You see, it's easy um, to believe God for the big things, but struggle with the little things. We almost see this in the life of Abram here because he, like us, we're complex beings. We're prone to wonder. I mean, here's a a little summary that I um, hope you find helpful. When we are faithless, God remains faithful and he will fulfill his promises. That's really what we're going to try and get at tonight. When we are faithless, God remains faithful and he will fulfill his promises. So let's think about the first part of that. We can be faithless. We can be faithless. We see that um, in verse 10. We've already touched on that. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. This is a major issue in the ancient world. I mean, today we often go to live where the work is. Isn't that right? We go where the work is. Back then, you would go where the food is. It was that simple. And Abraham had a fear about his food. I trust you for my future, God. I I believe the promises of the gospel that you've given to me, the good news of God you've given to me, but I need to sort out my own food by myself in my own power. And his intention was to sojourn there. If you've got the ESV, you'll see uh, that word. Or to, to live there a little while, verse 10. But there's no indication that he sought the Lord's guidance in this situation. He took matters into his own hands. I will do it my way, he says. Because I'm in control. Or I need to be in control. You see, we can be faithless. Now, we must see a common theme that we're, we're going to meet um, throughout this series uh, in, in the life of Abram. Um, God's promises to him are always under threat. They're always being attacked. We see that in Genesis. Actually, we see it in the rest of the Bible, basically. God building for himself a people. And very often, the threat comes through the sin of God's people. And here we see it in Abram's actions. But God is sovereign and God will not allow anyone or anything to thwart his plans and his purposes. Now, of course, you're sitting there maybe thinking, you know what? This is a, a, a reasonable action of Abram. I mean, he had people to feed. He had people to care for. Surely this is Reasonable, this is logical that he would go where the food was. Isn't that what people always did? But of course, we've got to learn the lesson that reason and human logic will always ultimately fail us. They will let us down eventually, these things, human reason and logic. They will leave us short. Now, it has some value. Of course it has. Sometimes it's got some value. But often it leads us into faithless disobedience. When we think we're in control and we, when we think we can make the right decisions by ourselves. Now, Abram could have thought and should have thought, you know, God said, leave, go. I will make you 
I will give you facts, promises. He should have realized, you know, that a famine wasn't going to stop this. How could a famine stop that plan? Nothing can hinder the plans and purposes of God. No obstacle can halt his will or his way. But he didn't, did he? Reason and human logic will always fail us. In Matthew 6, we have Jesus teaching us about um, food and clothes and birds and flowers and worry. If you know that section of the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, who looks after the lilies? God does. I mean, who cares for the birds? God does. Can anyone add one moment to his life through worry? No. And Jesus says, our Heavenly Father knows exactly what we need. And if he hasn't given it to you yet, it means you don't need it. Or you don't need it yet. And if you need it, he'll give it to you. And therefore, worry is a sin. And I suppose that's a timely word for us uh, as we enter the worst of the cost of living crisis, particularly as we come into the winter months. You see, on the journey of faith, we can be faithless if we just judge things by reason and human logic. So the argument goes in our heads, I have to kind of help God along with this plan because he's not up to supplying my daily bread or he's going to leave me short or I'm not going to be able to cope. He's not able, he's too busy or he doesn't care. There's a multitude of things we can say, but reason and human logic takes us in a certain direction. And every time we go in that direction, we end up crashing. So let's not be people who are deluded into stepping off the path of faith because we're called to, to step out on that path. Don't be deluded into compromising and taking unbiblical risks and setting wrong priorities. Oh, the temptation's always there to do that. Stepping off the path, compromising, taking unbiblical risks, setting wrong priorities. It's crazy. So Abram receives the promise of God. He apparently believes the promise of God. And then he goes walkies to Egypt because of a shortage of food and water. Imagine if Abram had stopped and asked the God who would later on in the story of redemption rain down manna from heaven. God, could you supply my needs? I'm going to trust you for my needs. What if he had asked the God of heaven who later on in the story of redemption, the book of Exodus, provided water from a rock to supply his need for water? Would God have let him down? But he doesn't seem to have asked because we can't be faithless so very easily. Think of all the ways in your own life in your family's life, even as a church, we can be faithless because we're controlled by reason and human logic, not 
by faith in the living and true God. See, when we turn to our own schemes and uh, to save ourselves, we more often not get into deeper trouble. It's called self-reliance. And Abram switched from divine awareness to human reason, and it was a recipe for disaster. This is sad, isn't it, this part of the story? Maybe Abram was kind of living on even the recent past and his experiences of God. Because some of us um, live on the glory of past experience of God. We, the, the building of our altars, maybe some years ago, we live in the, the glory of those days. And so we can talk about the good old days, you know, the good times. But now we can just live on kind of spiritual autopilot with little or no present spiritual reality. Now, we should praise God for positive spiritual histories. We should praise God for the blessings of yesterday, but we cannot afford to live in the light of those today because today is a new day. Tomorrow is going to be a new day, a new opportunity to trust God, a new opportunity not to be faithless. And they come to us thick and fast, these opportunities. Therefore, it's an ongoing it's an ongoing relationship. Faith must be up to date. It must be an up to date living relationship. It, it means we encounter the living God today and then tomorrow and then the next day. So we are making ongoing and new spiritual history every single moment. Now, it's possible, it's probable that Abram was cruising along, he was floating along spiritually, he was living on past blessing, but there was a lack of faith, a lack of spiritual intimacy. And so that leads him to, I suppose, basically telling lies. That's what led him to lie so easily and so quickly. So Abram was prepared to tell lies, to use lies, to trust in lies. You see, there's a slippery slope from kind of uh, unbelief to prayerlessness, to no intimacy with God, to slipping into telling lies just to save yourself. That's, that's the root of, of faithlessness. There's a, there's a line of actions or non-actions. And all kinds of behavior can be justified so we can tell lies so easily. And we get ourselves into a shocking mess. A shocking mess. Now, we all face moral, spiritual dilemmas. We all face problems and difficulties every single day, don't we? In, in, in your workplace, in your family life, in the life of the church, they come, again, thick and fast to us. How do we respond? See, lying will justify all kinds of behavior. We should never ask the question, what will work? We should never ask the question, what will get me out of this crisis? We should ask the question, what is the right thing to do? What is the right thing to do? Now, interesting that in verse 13, um, when he says uh, to Sarai, his, his wife, say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. 
I'm sure if you know the story well, you'll know that actually this was half the truth. Because um, Sarai was his sister. Same father, a different mother. That was, in a sense, practiced in those days commonly. And of course, a half-truth, a half-lie, the best lies, as we all know, have a grain of truth in them so that people will accept them. But God didn't want, or God didn't need Abraham to deceive people. God wants Abraham to trust and obey, but he didn't. I suppose the truth is that so many lies are told so many times in the day. In the business world, in family life, and in the church. But lies cause a chain reaction, and we will see that very shortly. But why did he lie? Well, some see Abram as basically a coward. He wanted the easy way out. Some see him as being self-absorbed. He, he wanted a diary. He wanted um, personal safety. Well, he certainly got the diary, as we will see there in verse 16. Maybe both. Maybe he was a coward. Maybe he was self-absorbed. But he was also very clearly faithless. Possibly, probably, Sarai joined uh, Pharaoh's harem. And he would have had, as typical of rulers of his day, uh, many wives and many concubines. And perhaps, despite her beauty, as is reported there, uh, she would have needed time to prepare, to maybe to cleanse herself for Pharaoh. So there's no guarantee that adultery was committed. No guarantee that adultery was committed. However, Abram put her in moral danger. First, let's read that, verse 14 to verse 16. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram required sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants and camels. It looked like actually Abram got away with the deceit. I mean, his lies as it were, turned to gold. He got his wife back there, you'll notice in verse 19. Now then, here's your wife, take her and go. He got great wealth, as verse 16 points out. And he got to <clears throat> escape Egypt with it all, verse 20. So it looked as if his lying paid off. But think for a minute. What's the next story that we'll look at next Sunday evening? The next story deals with the trouble that all these riches caused between Lot's men and Abram's men. Basically, too much stuff. The stuff accumulated in Egypt caused major problems. Lot then, as you know the story, splits up from Abram, goes to live in Sodom. And that story doesn't end well now, does it? And it all came from the stuff that came from the lies told to Pharaoh and the government there in Egypt. Ill-gotten gain always comes back to bite us. Lies, stuff, arguments, Sodom, a sad, bad, mad story. Never, ever, ever Put your wife, your spouse, your husband in moral danger. 
by your actions. Never do that. Never risk your marriage. Whatever you're doing or thinking about doing right now that could damage your marriage, then stop. Stop before you wreck what God has given to you. Abram nearly did it. He got away by the skin of his teeth, but there's no freedom for us to do the same way. Imagine every time another toy arrived at Abram's house, another gift, maybe it was a camel, maybe it was a horse, we don't know, but Abram must have realized how much it cost because it cost the fact that his wife was not with him, but with another man. Mighty cost. Was she in on the plan? Perhaps, but still no excuse. Abram should have protected her, and he didn't. He was a coward, he was selfish, and he nearly wrecked God's good plan. You see, possessions without God never satisfy. Dishonest gain rots our souls. Falsehoods destroy. That's a message for our culture and our age, isn't it? The stuff accumulated caused long-lasting problems. But also, by the way, think about one of those maidservants that verse 16 refers to. He gained many maidservants and manservants in, in Egypt. But one of them, possibly, probably, most probably was Hagar. And if you know anything about the story, you'll know the major problems that Hagar's entry into the relationship with Abraham brought to the story of redemption, to the story of the Bible. And we're still living with the consequences of that even today. We'll see that later on in the weeks that lie ahead. The fruit of his lies created a storm of conflicts and hurts, a disaster. It always does. Always does. We are very capable of um, faithlessness. We are. I wonder, even now, is our sin covered? Perhaps. It's secret at the moment. It's hidden. But it could, maybe will, be found out one day. Well, now is the time to uh, repent. And instead of being faithless, being faithful. Faithlessness. It's a problem for God's people. But the good news, is, of course, is that God is always faithful. See, the focus is on our faithful God and his promise. That's the key lesson of this particular story. Let's not fall into the trap of moralizing about the goodness or the badness of Abram or Sarai or even the Pharaoh. Because actually, the Pharaoh is the one who comes out with the most integrity in the story to date, isn't he? And it's easy for us to say, oh, oh. Let's not be like Abram. Let's not be like Sarai. Let's be like Pharaoh. But that's not what the story is about. We're not into moralism or moralistic therapeutic deism, as it's called. See, last time we could have argued, you know, oh, let's be like Abram. Leave and go. That's what he did. Oh, he's a good man. Let's be like him. Or let's do what Abram did. And this time we can say, oh, let's not do what Abraham did. 
Let's not be like Abram this time around. But the focus is not actually on Abram or Sarai or us. The focus is on the sovereign, faithful God, who's sovereign and faithful even in our sin, even in our faithlessness, as Jeff rightly reminded us in his prayer. Even when we sin, God is still true to his promise. And we've got to always remember that. Genesis is not, first of all, about what we should or should not learn from the patriarchs. Of course we can learn things from them, positive and negative. But Genesis and the whole of the Bible is there for us to learn about God and his promise and his plan of redemption that affects even people like me and you. So God protects Abram and he protects his promises through the famine, while they were in Egypt, from the results of their lies and their self-centered sin. See, God is center stage. God is in control. We see that in verse 17, for instance. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So the household of Pharaoh was cursed because Pharaoh was in danger of dishonoring a wife of another man the wife of the man that God had chosen for great things. And so God protects Abram and Sarai for the sake of his plans and purposes. Abram didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve it. But you see, God had a plan. And God had a man. And he's going to save both. Because he's sovereign. And he's faithful. And even though Abram didn't deserve God's intervention, God did intervene. So to be true to his promise, God is faithful despite our sin. Now some commentators, including Kevin DeYoung, see parallels between Genesis 3 and Genesis 12 here. Can I, I think it's important for us to see just the way the patterns of Scripture work together. In Genesis 3 and in Genesis 12, what do we see? Well, we see a husband's pathetic leadership. The husband in Genesis 3 was Adam. The pathetic husband in chapter 12 was Abram. We also see temptation over, over food. The fruit of the tree of knowledge of, of good and evil. Yeah. And now the lack of food due to a famine in chapter 12. We see deception in both stories, in both chapters. The serpent deceives the couple. In chapter 12, the couple deceive Pharaoh. And then we have the questions that were asked. Do you remember back in chapter 3, God asks Adam, what have you done? And here, Pharaoh asks Abram, what have you done? And in both stories, it ends up with them being kicked out. Kicked out of the garden. Adam and Eve kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And here, Abram and Sarah kicked out of Egypt. It's the same story, basically. Except, except Adam and Eve left with cursing. Abraham and Sarai leave with blessing. And that's the difference, you see. Because God is always faithful to his people and to his promises. 
And that, I think, brings us two things. Comfort, first of all. Comfort. Brings comfort to me and to you. Not because of Abram and Sarai, but because of who he is. We should be comforted tonight. He makes promises. He keeps promises. He can and, and uh, he, he, we can and we should and must trust no matter what. There's no need to deceive. There's no need to panic. There's no need to cut corners. There's no need to be faithless. There's no need to feel and to fear because God is always faithful, no matter what, even in our sin. Comfort, comfort, but also hope, hope, because nothing and no one can completely destroy the plan and purposes of God. No one can short circuit his plans and purposes for his church. And we're up against it, aren't we? Secular society attacks us increasingly. Persecution frightens us and intimidates us. Sin seduces us. We're up against it. It's not easy. It'll probably get even harder. But the promise of God is this. I will build my church. And that brings us comfort. And that brings us hope. So God is always faithful. Let's remember that when we study whether it be the life of Abram or Moses or Joseph or Daniel. He is always faithful. The third lesson and the final one is this. God's faithfulness leads to repentance and to renewal. And in 2 Timothy um, chapter 2 verse 13, in a little kind of little chorus or a little statement of faith, Paul writes this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Abram heads back to Bethel. Let's read, in fact, those verses, chapter 13. Um, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had and Lot went with him. Abram was, had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There, Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So Abram went back to Bethel, to the place where he had pitched his tent, to the place where he had built his altar. He went as a, a pilgrim. He went as a worshiper. He went back to a better place. He went back to a better practice. And, and what did he do there? There he called on the name of the Lord. You see, God's faithfulness leads to repentance and to renewal. Oh yes, we mess up. Uh, we sin and we rebel. But God's desire is that our wanderings are short, our rebellions are don't last long. His desire is that we come back and do the things we did at first. Isn't that why we read from Revelation 2? Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent. And do the things you did at first. And if you do not repent, 
I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Come back to the place where it all began and do the things you did at first. For Abram, it was Bethel. But for us, surely it's the cross, is it not? Where daily we should come and say, God, in thought and in word and in deed, I have failed you. But I long to be faithful to you as you are faithful to me. So who are you tonight? And where are you tonight? Are you living a lie? Are you living a lie? Maybe not about your sister or your wife, but you're living a lie when it comes to your commitment to Christ. Are you wandering in your Egypt when you should be in the promised land? Are you getting on well in life, but getting on poorly with God? Are you holding lightly to the things of God because you're holding so tightly to the things of the world? Then you need repentance. You need renewal, don't you? Where? The cross, the place of forgiveness where we buy and we repent and we call on the name of the Lord. If it's any comfort or encouragement to you, this is what I've done this very week. Maybe it's a practice you should do regularly. Maybe it's something you need to do. Call on his name, his love, his holiness, his grace, his faithfulness. Let's pray now and can we give you a moment of silence maybe to do that? And then I'll conclude in prayer in a few moments' time. Father God, it's so easy for us to be faithless with all the temptations around us and the weakness of our, our nature. But we're very thankful that you are faithful, always faithful. And your faithfulness calls us to come and be renewed after repentance. You are faithful. You cannot deny yourself. And you promise us Blessing upon blessing, we come to the cross, we bow before the Savior, and we ask for empowerment, we ask for grace, we ask for forgiveness, renewal, and an opportunity to walk 
the walk of faith. And as we leave this place and sense the safety of this place and the love that we can have and can experience in this place, and as we go into a broken world, may we learn and keep learning our God is faithful. We pray for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.